Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. Hello and welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast. My name is Patrick Adams, and we are in episode 26 of the Lean Solutions Podcast, where today I had the opportunity to talk with Dr. Jeffrey Liker about the Toyota Way second edition that just published this last January. We talk about the updates in his new book, as well as sustainment of continuous improvement. And to make things interesting, we even discussed how Dr. Liker is using virtual reality to teach lean leadership in the Toyota way. Enjoy. All right. Hello, everybody. My guest today is Dr. Jeffrey Liker. Dr. Liker is the professor of industrial and operations engineering at the University of Michigan. He is a professional speaker and advisor through his company, Liker Lean Advisors LLC, uh, a network of associates to teach and consult in the Toyota way, which we're going to talk extensively about today. He has also written many amazing articles and books that have won 13 Shingo Prizes, as well as uh, the Toyota way, which won the 2005 Institute of Industrial Engineers Book of the Year Award and 2007 Sloan Industry Studies Book of the Year. Wow, what that is a mouthful. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks, Patrick. Absolutely. Uh, so, Jeff, you are also the author of the, the new second edition of the international bestseller, The Toyota Way, 14 Principles from the World's Greatest Manufacturer, uh, which we're going to be talking about extensively today. But for those that do not know or maybe haven't read The Toyota Way or they're, they're not familiar with it, can you give us just a quick overview of maybe the, the background and overview of The Toyota Way itself, how it came to be? Well, I published it in 2004. And I came to the University of Michigan in 1982, but it was about 1984 that I started studying Toyota, uh, part of a big study of comparing the US-Japan auto industries. And then I got involved with consulting and training and we did conferences. I worked with John Shook at that time and Mike Rother, who joined me at University of Michigan in a program called the Japan Technology Management Program. And then, I decided I wanted to write a practitioner book instead of what I was used to, which was academic papers. Uh, and I wrote Becoming Lean, which was an edited book that was based on case studies of kind of pioneers of lean who were just learning the Toyota production system. Ford was one of them, uh, sure. Freudenberg and OK, Donley Mirrors out near you in Grand Haven. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I, out of the blue, got a call from McGraw-Hill, and an editor had created a series of books and had done the McKinsey Way and the Disney Way and the GE Way with Jack Welch, and they wanted to do the Twitter Way next. So it immediately, I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about doing something like that, but it occurred to me immediately, this is a good thing for me to do, because I had done a lot of different things that academics don't usually do, like consulting. I was part of the Ford production system team with John yeah. Shook and Mike Rother, helping them develop their system that they're bringing worldwide. Uh, so I felt like I knew a lot more than I would write in, in an academic article. Sure, and sure. this was an opportunity for me to tell the whole story of things that I kind of learned scientifically and things that I just kind of learned. And the uh, format for those books was management principles. So I did what they asked me to do and organized them around management principles. 
And the idea was to create generic management principles. So not just report on Toyota, which was not really my interest, but rather extrapolate and pull out principles based on Toyota, which is a very unique company, a learning organization. Uh, they've been consistent in their philosophy for, for now for almost 100 years. So an unusual learning organization. And to say, what can we learn from them? Yeah. And at that time, lean was kind of hot. Uh, and it was started to be lean manufacturing, then lean healthcare, then lean defense, and then it just kept on expanding. Sure. Uh, but I was seeing as it expanded, it was moving further and further away from what I had learned at Toyota. Okay. And I kind of wanted to write that wrong. Uh, and I so I wrote management principles and I reorganized them and created three, then turned those into one, and finally ended up with fourteen. Uh, I'm not sure why. There was no particular reason, but then I decided 14 was too many to remember. Okay. So I sorted them into categories. And then it seemed like I was had a few categories starting with P. So I decided to uh, create a 4P model, which each mm. category starting with P. And I created a, tri a pyramid where the foundation was philosophy, which focused on long-term thinking. Then the next level was processes where most lean work happens, where you're, you're changing a process and that's the tangible thing you can work on. Sure. And, but in Toyota's way of thinking, when you're working on a process, that's also an opportunity to develop your people. Mm. So the third P was people. And then the main way of thinking of people to improve the process, Toyota calls problem solving. Uh, so I had philosophy, process, people, and problem solving piled up in a pyramid. Sure. Uh, and that, you know, worked. It seemed to make sense. I tried to uh, to make it a little bit folksy. And I also wanted to have, whenever I met a point, I wanted to have a story to illustrate the point, like I had in Becoming Lean. Right. And most of the stories were from, from Toyota, although I would have usually negative examples from other companies that had tried it. And, failed, although I had a few positive examples as well, like Donnelly Mirror. Uh, and then I put it out there and it started selling more, much faster than anybody at McGraw-Hill ever expected and I ever expected. Right. Uh, and then it kept going. And all the other way books I know of had an initial spurt of interest and then they died. Sure. But 20 years later, the Toyota way was still going really strong. strong. Yeah. Uh, well, not quite 20 years, but 17 years anyway. Uh, and then after 17 years, I was thinking about what I want to do next. And I've written a lot of specialty books on different aspects, like the Toyota way to lean leadership, Toyota culture, Toyota yep. talent, uh, the Toyota way field book. And I started to just have this feeling that it was time for a rewrite. I had learned a lot and I had a lot of good examples, positive examples from other organizations, as well as uh, rethinking. And I mentioned Mike Rother, who was a student of mine and he had worked for me at University of Michigan and he had gone off and developed on his own Toyota Kata. And then he came to me and shared that with me. We had lots of conversations and 
it helped me to put together the way of thinking in Toyota, which sure. is really scientific thinking. That's right. And a lot of things crystallized that I knew, sort of, like in the original document, Japanese document that uh, described the Toyota production system, they described it as focused on scientific thinking. Mm. And they're focusing at that point on, on Teichi Ono's almost obsession with the Gemba. Yeah. Go to the Gemba, observe, 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 find the root cause, and only then start to try things, start to experiment. And one of the things you'll hear from, Toyota, from Ono's students is if you uh, have an idea and you're not sure if it'll work, just try it mm, and right. see what happens. And then you'll learn from that. And if you fail, the next time will be better. And as you experiment, as you try these things, you'll get smarter and better as a person and as a problem solver. So there's a strong bias toward action in Toyota, which we all know about. It used to be the just do it philosophy. But actually there's planning that goes before doing but you only plan just enough to intelligently be able to try something that might work with right. always with a purpose in mind, always with a goal. I feel like that's been maybe one of the toughest part for us in the Western world. You know, you, you talked about just taking action and, you know, learning from your mistakes, moving forward. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people that I work with, feel like they have to have it all right before they before they move ahead they have to have the perfect plan that's not going to fail you right. know and I, I would i would be curious to know based on what you said when you were working with toyota and, and extrapolating all of those management principles and putting together the four p's and and the 14 principles um was it difficult to to, to take it from what the the way that toyota and toyota leaders were were voicing it to you and put it down and, and extrapolate it and put it into a, a way that us Westerners can understand it. Was that difficult or? It was difficult in the sense that in Japan, uh, they're, by anthropologists, they're considered a high context culture. And by context, what they mean is that when I'm communicating with you, uh, there's a lot I assume you understand based on the context, right? based on who we are and where we are and what we jointly believe and what we jointly value. And there's a lot that just seems obvious. Mm. So that allows me to use very few words and communicate a lot. So you'll see that the Toyota people might answer you know, a difficult question and I'm elaborating the question and they might give me like a five word answer. <laughs> and they think that's enough. Sure. And uh, they also tend to use very simple terms. Okay. And for some reason, they don't like to embellish a lot of things like every Toyota plant in the world is Toyota, every factory is Toyota Motor Manufacturing, TMM, and then location. Mm-hmm. TMM, TX, TMM, UK. Uh, and you know, they're happy with that. Right. They don't really want a more elaborate name or a more defining name or you know, something that people would relate to. It's just TMM UK. Uh, mm-hmm. And I remember talking to uh, one of the students of T.H. Ono 
about Triticata. And he actually, I talked to him about it because he actually had bought it. And he had, I don't know if he read all of it, he read some of it, but he had read some of it at least. And his response was very interesting for a book. <laughs> but okay. in reality, we don't need target condition. We don't need obstacle, just the ideal state, the actual state and the target, that's enough. Mm, yeah. So those three things I can transform a plant. Right, right. So we know where we're going. If we yeah. know the next point that we're trying to get to. Well, no, we know where we're going, where we are and the target. Yeah. And so, you know, keeping things simple is what they like to do, which means that if you want to get a little deeper below the surface, you're not going to get it from them easily. Right. But if you keep asking enough questions and also of different people, uh, then you can sort of piece together a broader fabric and a broader story. Sure. And sometimes if you state something incorrectly, and I would sometimes do that on some purpose, they'll say, oh, no, no, not that at all. You know, and then they'll give you a, a deeper explanation. Okay. It was particularly difficult to uh, study the Toyota product development system because mm. the Toyota yeah, product system. I have had is, conversations about that in the past. Yeah, it's a house and there's pillars and it's, you know, so it's already structured in a way to explain it to people fairly easily. And it's, it's visible, you can, they can show you everything that's in the house. Sure. Whereas the Toyota product development system was never defined as the Toyota product development system was defined by me that way and Jim Morgan, but not by people in Toyota. So right. they would, they would act like I had taken a wrong turn and I was trying to find the factory and somehow I con got confused and ended up in the product development center. And they would say, wait a second, you know, you should be in the plant. That's what we're good at is the Toyota production system. There's right. nothing special about product development. We don't have a special system for that. So then I had to ask a lot of questions and it turns out Jim Morgan was a dye maker and then he became a specialist in body engineering. So he spent every week for months with a vice president of body engineering, mm. just pulling out of him, pulling out of him. Right. And, and because he could then talk the technical language, he could see differences. He had, he was a part of a vendor that worked for all the automakers. So he could see differences that sure. the uh, person who's interviewing wasn't not even aware of. Right. That's, that's great. I, and it, obviously between you and him and you being a, a professor, I mean, you, you were the right people to, to be there asking those questions and digging deep into, you know, the, the, the underneath of what the, the Toyota way is all about. So. Well, Jim was also a PhD student of mine, so he had to write his dissertation. So he had to get deeper uh, below the surface, uh, as well as uh, the reason I connected him up with the Toyota Technical Center and body engineering is because I had, had another student, two other students who did product development dissertations, but uh, they could only go so far because they didn't have the technical understanding. Okay. And by asking in detail about how they develop their specifications and how they develop platforms for like a hood of a car and uh, how they use certain types of 3D modeling. And by asking detailed questions, uh, 
Jim could then see the differences more sure. clearly. Sure, makes sense. So that, that worked out really well. Then he went on to transform body development at Ford. So yep. Ford went from having some of the worst designed and constructed bodies in the world from a quality point of view to among the best rivaling Lexus and Toyota. Amazing. Yeah. And I've I've used a lot of the principles from from that book for for a lot of my own work. So I appreciate that you guys put that out there. We bring this back to the, the Toyota Way second edition. One of the other questions that I had about this particular book was uh, for those that have read the first edition, right? Um, right? I mean, I'm I have the second edition because there's a lot of new material in here and a lot of really great uh, expanded information. Um, can you just talk to the listeners a little bit about what they can expect to see that maybe they wouldn't see in the first edition? Well, first of all, the models changed. It's still four Ps, but it's a circle and puzzle pieces. And so the puzzle pieces are the same philosophy process people and problem solving. In the center, though, I put scientific thinking, which is kind of the glue that holds them all together, the way of thinking about philosophy, which is long-term systems thinking, and it's called the Toyota production system for a reason, because really all the parts are related to each other. And then the processes uh, I talk about not as a thing to implement, but rather as something to strive for. Mm. You don't implement one-piece flow, you strive for one-piece flow. Right. And one-piece flow if you truly reached it, would be perfection. A defect, a person taking extra time to do a job, uh, a uh, some you, you stop the machine stops. Right. There's inventory that's there. Any waste means you're not doing one piece flow. Right. So as you eliminate waste, as you uh, take variability out of the process and out of the way people work, you get closer and closer to that ideal. And the right. way you approach reaching that ideal is through scientific thinking, through relentless Kaizen. And then people uh, are developed through uh, working on the floor, working on real problems with a coach. And then the role of the leader is to be a coach and teacher, not a disciplinarian who's checking up on the, on the workers. And then I talk about work groups that's really at the core of Toyota yeah. and how they structure those. Uh, and then in the problem solving piece, I'm really talking about striving toward perfection step-by-step step, scientifically. And I talk then about, for example, Mike Rothers Kata and how to use A3 properly not as just a report. Uh, and then I have a principle, a new principle about Hoshin Connery. Mm. And I, as a way to align your objectives so you know what the direction is. So I'm connected to my boss who's connected to her boss and, and so on. And we're all working, doing Kaizen, but pointed in a direction, not scattershot. Right. And then finally, I added a principle 14 about connecting strategy to execution and going all the way to the point of asking, what's the purpose of this company? What do we do that's unique and better than anybody else in the world? Mm, love that. Uh, and then that connects to execution uh, right. and through Hoshin Conry. So I've added principles. I've 
changed the uh, kind of the philosophy a bit. Uh, I in the first book it was I think it was clear to everybody who read it that I was saying this is a, a cultural way of thinking, a way of developing people, and not just a toolkit. Right. But still, I felt like it. For example, particularly in the process principles, I, it was a little bit too mechanical. Mm, yeah. Whereas I think this one is very much about, I talk about a difference between mechanistic and organic, and this is very much an organic uh, fluid view that assumes that we never really know what's going to happen yeah. in the future until we try something. That's right. It's such an important concept. And, you know, you, you talked about mechanistic, me mechanistic and tools, uh, application of tools, and even with one piece flow, you know, it's not something that you just, you don't just apply one piece flow as a tool. You know, right. there's so many misconceptions that are out there. And, you know, I, so I'm curious to hear, you know, again, I know you cover a lot of this in the book, but you know, what, what different misconceptions do you hear or have you come across um, about lean in general, based on- well, in, in general, the, uh, the, it can be summarized through this mechanistic organic distinction. Yeah. So the mechanistic is not just I use tools, but it's actually a worldview. Mm. This is how the world works. It works in a, relative, a relatively predictable fashion. And my job is to control. And therefore, I need the right technical solution to the problem. And if I have the right technical solution to the problem, then I just implement it. And if I'm right, if my science and my thinking is good, it should work the way I expect. Right. And then there might be a few hiccups that I didn't anticipate, so I can clean those up. And then I would then the only problem at that point is whether people do what they're supposed to do, if they follow the rules. And that you is again an issue of control. How can I control these people through audits and checks to get them to behave properly? Yeah, it should that be really time, easy to just control people, right? It's you know it's not even easy, that easy to control processes. Machines no. No. do what they do, and right. you know, they're not all that predictable. Uh, when you have a lot of variables that are inter particularly when they're interacting, like a system, yeah, uh, things happen that you don't anticipate. Uh, so, uh, you know, even good scientists realize that they haven't licked the problems. You know. Uh, that there's always a, a new approach, a new perspective on, on biology, on, on mechanical engineering, on physics. Uh, so the, the best scientists are always learning and are willing to consider a different paradigm. That's right. uh, so then the organic approach views the world as a living system with interacting parts, with feedback loops. You can get the vicious cycles, you can get the virtuous cycles. And the uh, kind of core concept of the Toyota Way, in, in my case, is systems thinking. Mm. And the idea of the Toyota production system is we've got a foundation, which is stability, and we've got a pillar, which is just in time, which is aiming for one piece flow, pure value to the customer. And then we've got the roof, which is our goals we're trying to achieve. So we're trying to uh use just or move toward just in time in order to achieve quality cost delivery safety morale and then 
the Jadoka pillar is really where you get feedback. Things don't go as you expect, and then you stop with the end on or the machine stops itself. Sure. And then you have to solve the problem, which then strengthens the foundation. Okay. And that becomes a virtuous cycle. Mm -hmm. If in the, in the middle you have people who are thinking, continuously improving, challenging, but the system's really designed to reveal problems. Yeah. That's why I have, have visual management. That's why I have standard work. So that there's a standard and then through visual management, you can see a gap between standard and actual. Right. Which then feeds into problem solving and continuous improvement. So it all fits together. So now if you try to take it apart as a simple mechanical system where you could just replace a part, mm. then that leads to mechanically thinking every time I do something, I should get a return on investment. So if I'm going to implement the just in time pillar and I'm going to put in Kanban or something, then I have to do a business case. Is the inventory reduction, whatever I say, think that's worth in dollars and cents, worth the effort. Right. And you can do those calculations, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't work out, and you can't get permission. Uh, but then when it comes to the, the people side, or even the Jadoka side, stop when there's a problem. It costs money to stop. That's right. It does. What's the benefit? Yeah. You know, we fit, we prevent a quality problem from getting through the customer, but that happens rarely enough that it's hard to prove to somebody you're going to have less of those instances. So then you go to say, over time, you know, little by little, we're solving problem after problem and our quality is getting better and better. And customer returns are lower and warranty is lower, but it's not such a clear and simple cause and effect. Right. As we do a workshop, we set up a cell, we take two people out of the operation. That's perfect for ROI, uh, but it's only part of the puzzle. And then developing people, how do you measure that? You know, what's a unit of being a better person and what is that worth in dollars and cents? It doesn't even make sense to ask the question. Right. Uh, so that you're not even gonna bother with. So uh, when you pull it apart, you can't really justify very much. And I've seen a lot of companies do that. And then they'll focus where there's an immediate short-term benefit. So right. to get to the to the systems thinking where you're building the system, you have to think long-term. If I do all these things and I get better as an organization and we get closer to excellence, then all sorts of good things will happen. You will have right. a huge competitive advantage. But, it has to be long-term thinking. But you have to have that vision. You, know, you have the vision because you experienced a company that didn't have the vision and a company that did so you experienced it firsthand but you'd have a ceo who's never done it before and is really mostly good at looking at the numbers and they can't really imagine this future exactly whereas you go into toyota and you can't find anybody who cannot imagine it right <laughs> it seems so obvious right everybody you know including Akim toyota now and probably why they make it, why they use shorter, you know, just simple things, simple words, simple, because it's like, this should be simple, but that's all they know. That's all they see. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Interesting. So when it comes to sustainment, I mean, obviously all of this ties into sustainment of lean initiatives or continuous improvement. Um, what do you think is maybe the, what do, what do you think the reasons are that companies struggle the most with sustaining their continuous improvement initiatives or 
you know, deploying or capturing, accepting, de deploying a, a continuous improvement strategy into their organization? Why do you think they're, they're struggling to sustain it? I think it's the same reason of mechanistic versus organic. So from a mechanistic point of view, uh, if I, uh, if I rebuild the engine and uh, add some horsepower to it, you know, mm -hmm. some way of souping up the engine to, to make it, uh, to increase the horsepower. When, if I know how to do that, and if it's worked before for other similar engines, my assumption is if I do it right, I'm going to get the extra horsepower. And if I don't, I did it wrong. And if I've done it a hundred times, by the hundredth time, I've got it nailed. Mm -hmm. uh, if you take that same mindset to an organization, you think I should be able to fix this organization. I know the mm -hmm. recipe. I know what to insert in the right place, mm. how the organizational chart should be drawn, uh, how I should incentivize people, uh, how I should talk to people, make my direction clear and my goals clear. And in addition to that, there's some tools that the consulting firm I used in my last company knows how to use better. So I'll bring them in, pay them right. a few million bucks, have them help straighten out the culture. Right. And it should work the same as it did in the last company. Hmm. Although I wasn't at the last company long enough to see what happened after I left. Hmm. Uh, but that was probably because they, because I left and people who took over didn't know what they're doing. So uh, you start to think that you could just mechanically fix the organization and even mechanically fix the culture. Now, what I, I talk about in the in the late, new trade away is the idea of entropy, which other people have talked about in relation to lean, which is that I set up this beautiful cell, I write standard work, I create metric boards, I set up a daily huddle, I train people on how to do their job, and then it runs really well. Mm -hmm. And we're running with fewer people, more productivity, on-time delivery. Uh, we're more flexible to change between products. So everything is great. And then six months later, I come back and it's, it's degraded. Mm -hmm. So then my question is, what is the tool for sustainment? What's the secret to sustainment? Yep. I'm still thinking in mechanistic terms that there should be a tool for that. And I'm looking for the best practice that I can insert in and get sustainment. And the problem is that I, what I say is that entropy is natural. There's mm -hmm. some force, mysterious force. We don't have to understand it, but right. somehow this force doesn't like order. It likes chaos and it's going, and the, the order is going to degrade to chaos. If there's no equal and opposite force, to prevent that chaos, to rest entropy. What I say is the equal and opposite force is positive energy coming from people who are continuously improving. Right. And if in fact the world was static, predictable, controllable, then I wouldn't have to worry about entropy. Once I set up the system optimally, it should continue to work optimally. But the problem is that since the world is dynamic and a system and things are changing, all my great ideas 
that were perfect maybe for that time that I did my one week workshop are no longer perfect. So let's just take a very simple concept, tact. And so we all learn from lean that you try to, you first calculate tact, which is the uh, rate of customer demand. So mm -hmm. it's you know, how much demand is there? How much time is there to build? Therefore I need to make a unit every N, you know, whatever that is and right. every minute, every hour, whatever. I, and, as, and that's what I'm aiming for is in Toyota's case, it's a car every minute usually in most of their plants. So every minute a car comes off the end of the line, every minute I put on the seat belts and I finish that. Every minute I'm doing a paint job. And so everything's lined up to attack. So that's all well and good. So now I've used that to develop my standard work, to assign the work to different people, figure out what's your load of uh, tasks for a minute. Uh, how often should parts come to the line? What should be the size of a batch that I bring to the line? everything's based on tact right it's in the equation what happens when tact changes hmm. everything changes that's right so i've perfectly designed this cell to work at one tact and then things start to change and the demand changes mm -hmm. and you know i might have been smart enough to figure out how to set up the cell for say three four and five people so three different tax, but tax are not always in, in neat categories like that, but that's okay. Right. But now people have to change what they're doing mm -hmm. and do a different job than they're used to, which is disruptive. So that's gonna cause going backward, unless you do a really good job of training the people, mm -hmm. like you would train an actor for a play. Right. And we don't do that. You know, we don't practice, we don't rehearse, we just throw people in there. That's right. Then that's fine. So now I get the cell, you know, a little bit closer because I've got four people instead of three people and they have, I have new standard works. So that's fine. But what about the material delivery system? Mm -hmm. I probably have not figured out how to set that up for different levels. And that's a little more complicated to change in the walking pattern of the material handling. So I'm probably going to let that go. And I'm probably not gonna do much in changing how supplied parts are delivered, how often, uh, what our milk runs are like. So in other words, my thinking really stops once I do the easy part. And I'm really not set up to adapt. In addition to that, the only people that would really know that you have to even do those things and change because of the tact are the consultants who are gone. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they never took the time to really train people and develop people. So each person can execute their function properly That's and right. understand the thinking behind it, how to do the calculations. Yeah. They have to understand it well enough to know when, when I show up and nothing's there, or when I show up 10, 10 minutes early, I have to realize that something has to adjust, be adjusted. Something has to change, something's different. Yeah. And if, if they haven't been taught that, they're just going to keep going about their day and it's just going to create more issues. Right. So I like the analogy of mountain climbing where you've got a great plan and your backpack is perfectly set up and you have the right amount of water and all that. And then on the first day, there's an avalanche hmm. and you lose your backpack and you know all hell breaks loose. And you know, now what do you do? Now, there may have been a Sherpa who set you up 
But if he just pushes you on your way, you're probably gonna, by day five, you'll probably be dead. Right. So that's the problem is that, so in, I'll give you a tech, uh, weird technical expression, but in systems thinking, there's a expression called dynamic homeostasis. And homo, it sounds like a contradiction term. Homeostasis means it's staying the same. It's steady and stable. Dynamic means it's changing. So you have changing stable state. Mm -hmm. And to make it simpler, we used to talk about something like a hamster on a wheel in a cage. Okay. So the hamster is just staying still, but it's running like crazy. Right. Stay still. And so that even when it appears that the system is staying still, it's only staying still because of a lot of adaptation and changes. And that's, that's where right. continuous improvement comes in. That's right. Such a powerful concept, a great way to think about it too. I love that analogy. So thank you for sharing that with us. So uh, another question that I have that kind of ties into this too is for leaders specifically. So, you know, for a leader that maybe, you know, is in an organization where they've adopted lean or maybe they're thinking about adopting lean methodology, um, what, what kind of advice would you give them to help them understand how to become a learning organization? Well, I think the, uh, and this, this is also clearly stated, explained by Mike Rother. So he's talking about the kata, which is something to practice. You need something to work on, you know, to get good at any skill, you need right. something to practice. And you need, that gets broken down to exercises, whether it's playing golf or whether it's playing guitar, or whether it's learning how to cook. You know, what do you do when you teach somebody to cook? Do you just make a souffle in front of them and say, now do that? <laughs> you, Seems like that's what leaders uh, do. A lot of leaders do that I work with. Right. Um, well, the first lesson all they may learn how to do is to break an egg. Right. And maybe to, to, to stir it properly. Uh, so you're teaching them a basic skill, which they do until they get good at it. Uh, so if you believe that people really have to have that understanding, that mindset of scientific thinking, where they understand how to observe the process, how to see where the opportunities are, how to relate that to the goals, mm. uh, feel comfortable experimenting and learning from each experiment. If you believe that's necessary for this to go, you know, as a, as a living system, then you have to somehow teach that. And to teach that, you need a teacher and a coach uh, that can teach the student. And who is the, who are the students? And in Toyota's case, it's all the all the leaders. That's right. From the supervisor to the CEO. So now you've got all these people who need to change their way of thinking which is a very different uh, task from uh, changing the physical environment. It takes longer, it's less predictable how fast people learn. So, uh, so what Mike says is you start with a small number of learners and with an co experienced coach, which is likely to be from outside the organization when you're starting. And then you need to develop, develop a set of learners. And then the learners then become coaches. Mm. So you can't jump immediately to coach something that you don't understand, That's you right. don't have any skill in.
So uh, it's like, you know, I've seen soccer coaches who are great coaches. They're not going to be award-winning soccer players, mm-hmm. but they know how to, how soccer should be played. That's right. And they have some basic skills. You don't just grab somebody who's read a book or gone to a three-day course. Exactly right. And I, and I see that too often as well. You know, similarly, you have somebody that just was promoted into a position because they were a hard worker or could run a machine really well. Right. And, they, and that's they, all you can do. Right. Yeah. You yeah. got like hundreds of people or thousands of people and you don't have a culture of developing people and you don't even understand, you know, what that means. Right. Then uh, you need a person to run that machine today. So you ask somebody to teach them some experience, show them how. Right. And then the person who knows the machines will get promoted to be a supervisor. They've never learned how to be a leader. Right. But it's not just that one person. It's nobody's really learned how to be a leader. Right. The organization right. doesn't have that capability. Right. Well, that's so why I love your, your lean leadership development model is, is powerful in that right. way. Okay, so the you have to first learn you develop yourself to the point where you have the skills to develop somebody else. That's right. Uh, and then that has to cascade down through the organization. So what they figured out at Toyota, this is going back to Tiono because they had to train their suppliers. They had lots of suppliers, and the suppliers had lots of people, thousands of people, uh, and they had to come up with a way to teach them in a deep way not in a superficial way, like throwing up a cell. So what they would do is the uh, master would pick a project area, which they called the model line, one area of one plant. And then they'd pick a few people who are gonna be their first students. And then they would ask those people to achieve a, a very challenging, seemingly impossible objective a challenge and then they would give the person step-by-step instruction but the instruction was often in the form of a challenge or question rather than a solution they never gave solutions and they might point out things like uh if the person were to come up with a a tool you know they they know they learned about mistake proofing Mm -hmm. so i say well uh, i think we should put mistake proofing in all these processes and the, the teacher might say, just stand there and watch these people and tell me what you see. And they're watching the people and they say, what do you see? What are they doing now? Well, they're waiting for material. Okay, so they're waiting for material. What are they doing now? Well, they're walking to get the material. What are they doing now? Now they're inserting the part. So what's value added? Inserting the part. So why are they walking to get material? Why are they waiting for material? Uh, and that, you know, then you have to think, you know, so you're, right. the mistake proofing was just, I have a tool and I want to put a pl- find a place to put it. Right. And now you're thinking about the actual process. What is your goal? Your goal is to increase productivity, say. Mm. What's preventing the productivity? That's right. So you get, so they're getting them to watch, to observe, and then, then they'll say, uh, so what are you going to do now? And then they'll say, you know, if they say, well, we're going to implement mistake proofing, then they'll say, no, 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 
What are you going to do to solve this problem? Right, right. Uh, and, you know, so this this continual process of challenging, pushing, questioning, why are you doing that and not this? And, you know, you're struggling and you're confused. You don't know what, the, what he wants you to say. Right. Uh, but through these struggles, you're starting to get better and better and better. And he's forcing you to think for yourself. And thinking is actually painful. It's hard work. It's much easier to just do something you know how to do. That's right. So you're going to bed exhausted at night. And it, no matter what you do, the, the, the mentor is not happy. Mm. And, but at some point, the light bulbs start going on. You That's sort of right. cross the threshold. And somebody who's gone through that experience will have a lot more confidence. And they just have a way of understanding what to do that other people around them don't. That's right. So they're developing those people through that model line project. And everybody on the model line is developing and learning and seeing how these systems work and experiencing them. But a few individuals who they're grooming to become coaches are getting a much deeper understanding. They're getting challenged and pushed and they're expected to show leadership. Then those people are in a position to bring this to the next place as well as you might bring some people in from another process to experience it in this one location. Right. So it becomes an organic process and it also becomes exponential growth. Like the whole thing with COVID is there's not that many people have it now. It's March of, of uh, 2020, but it's going to double and it's going to double again. And it's going to double again. And before you know it, there's going to be tens of thousands of cases then hundreds of thousands of cases. And it happened, but it was hard to understand that at the time. Right. You don't know anybody who has it around you. Right. Uh, so exponential growth is sort of difficult to, to picture. It's linear growth is easier. So, uh, but what happens is you train people who train people, you know, one person trains three people who train three people and it starts to grow pretty quickly. Oh yeah. You might put six months in the model line. You say you've got 20 plants and you're focusing on one plant and one area of that plant. And in six months, you get a few people trained and then you decide we're gonna add three more plants. You know, and then it'll grow. And over a few years, it'll be spread across your plants in a way that's sustainable mm. because the people understand it. But it's really starting off slower and growing instead of putting the tools in every place. Right. And then you usually get stuck. You know, nobody's really continuing to learn. That's right. And that, that's the point is, is the learning piece, right? Right. Um, developing that learning organization. Right. Uh, so, uh, and speaking of learning, uh, you have a master class coming up where you're actually going to be teaching the Toyota way, right? So oh, yes. And yes. you're going to be teaching the Toyota way in a special way though, right? Yes. Yes. So, different way than probably most people have experienced. This uh, headset. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love and, it. Which I also use to play golf and some video games. But uh, there's an organization called the Leadership Network out of England. And they were set up to develop, to teach master classes related to different aspects of leadership. And they always have a company and they have a teacher. Uh, so they, they've gone to Tesla, they've gone to Microsoft, they've gone to Google. Uh, companies all over the place, and they'll do these three-day master classes on a topic. And 
In my case, this was about five years ago, we started a three-day masterclass on leading in the Toyota way. Mm. And I partnered with the Toyota plant in the UK, TMUK. Yep. Uh, and we normally have a three-day course with a day of me then and teaching the leadership development model, which I haven't really talked about. And then uh, go to Toyota for a day. And it's a big bus trip back and forth, takes about an hour each way. We spend a day in the Toyota plant. And they, it's more than a usual Toyota tour where you see the physical things and the end on working. Uh, they, they talk about the uh, management approach and the human resource system and the quality system and how they use Hoshin Conry. So it's a good, very in-depth day. And then a uh, half day of me. With the, with the virtual reality class, everybody can do this from their home. Oh, that's, that's powerful. And How's we also know that? that putting this, you know, this thing on and yeah. wearing it for a whole day is too much. Yeah. So sure. we have five half days. Okay. And Toyota, to my surprise, got really excited about the the idea of virtual reality. Also, you, learning to, how they could use it for themselves for training. And they got all in and they said, you know, we'll let people come in with camera crews and uh, use uh, 360 degree cameras. So you literally, when you're looking in the headset, you're in the middle of the factory. Oh, it's so powerful. And that requires staging and shooting to, sure, shoot, to sure. illustrate something. Uh, and then there'll be live instruction where each of us are avatars and I'm a big auditor in a bit of auditorium presenting and I have a whiteboard and sticky notes or we can go into breakout rooms uh, and do tasks and you can develop games uh, to uh, for people to play together to make you say avatar I'm imagining like a, a bobblehead of Dr. Liker is that what we're gonna no, see? I'd like it to be that but it's more like a, a robot from uh, Star oh, yeah. Wars okay cool uh, you know, the white, nice. uh, the white warriors it looks oh, more yeah, like yeah. that, but we all look the same at this. Unfortunately, at this point, they hope to improve sure. upon that in the future. Oh, sure, but sure. Your name is on it, and uh, you kind of get used to it because, you know, like hand motions look just like hand, whatever hand motions I'm doing. I've got, you know, these these things, whatever hand motions. Well, so they, doing, it follows your, your whole follows body you, movement exactly. and everything. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, literally it's like we're together discussing, I'm presenting things. You can develop a 3D model of something uh, like the Toyota production system house. Uh, so it's uh, it offers possibilities that you you can't even do very well with PowerPoint in mm -hmm. the front of the room. So I'm excited about it. Uh, they've run a bunch of classes so far of other topics. They've gotten better reviews from the virtual reality than they did from live classes. Oh, wow. uh, and uh, for the first time, I'm doing my Toyota Way course the week of May 17th. Okay, May 17th. So if you wanted to register, where, where would they go to look at it? And I don't even have the, the website, but if you put into Google the Leadership Network, it will take you to their website and then okay. put in Jeff Liker and you'll find my course with Toyota. Uh, and it's very easy to find. And then there's registration information. Perfect. We'll do those. We'll do it again in September. Okay. Uh, when we can do live classes again, possibly for example next fall, we'll still do both. You know, some we'll do some live classes and some virtual reality classes, depending sure. on what people want. Uh, and it's it's exciting. Uh, companies that have been gone to the master classes are now 
like purchasing the system to use for their own internal training. Wow. Because they see how powerful it is. Oh, yeah. The I headset think. itself is, and this is from Oculus. It's just something you can go to Amazon and buy. Okay. And there's great virtual reality games. So I got this for free because I'm teaching a course. And I oh, that's nice. Golf in my office. <laughs> that works out really good. Yeah. Especially right now up here in Michigan, we still have snow. It's starting to melt away, though. So we're, right. we're getting close. I'm playing Wednesday for the first time. Nice. That'll be great. Um, so... Jeff, just to kind of uh, close this up for the day, um, the Toyota Way uh, second edition, this is available on Amazon. So anybody can go out there on Amazon, they can uh, search the Toyota Way and the second edition will come right up. Right. Uh, so they can grab it there. Uh, any any other uh, websites or anything that you want to throw out there that uh, might be important for people to, to know about? Or The only other thing that I'll, I'll mention, this is a little bit longer term, but I've also been working with a former student as well as uh, the partner of a company, Zingerman's Mail Order. I know oh, you yeah. visited there, uh, yeah. but they basically put people things in boxes and ship them. Uh, but it's uh, artisanal food, high-end quality food from all over the world. And they uh, pride themselves on next day delivery, 100% customer satisfaction. And they've evolved over about 15 years, a very sophisticated lean system under the guidance of one of my PhD students who started with a dissertation. And uh, we decided to write a book about that transformation process, which nice. is truly a cultural change as well as it's really the organic people and technical systems coming together. Uh, that they're, they're pretty famous. Zingerman's is only in Ann Arbor and they're famous for their graphics. They have cartoonish things for everything. Right. And uh, they thought it would be better to have a graphic novel than a regular book. So it's it, we've been working on this like 200 page, you know, like long comic book, but it tells oh, wow. the real life actual story of the transformation step by step. Powerful. And that's gonna be published through Productivity Press and it should be out about June or, or oh, July. Great. That's uh, finished. Uh, and all the kind of key points that are in the Toyota way about the way of thinking about problems and the learners and their struggles, the questions they're asking, and then how Eduardo, my PhD student, uh, answered the questions and step-by-step uh, step how they progressed and evolved becomes very clear through this comic book. Mm, I love it. I'm looking forward to, to reading it. Uh, actually, I'm bringing my leadership team out to Ann Arbor here in two weeks, I think. Uh, oh, we're going to go to Menlo and Zingerman's. Okay. Those are both great, great small businesses yes. where they're small enough that you can understand how the system works very easily. Exactly. Yeah. We're, we're specifically interested in uh, the project management piece at Menlo. And then I just figured we're out there anyways. Let's head over to Zingerman's and check out their customer service and just you know, take a tour of the plant. So I'm excited. Together they paint a really good picture of Absolutely. what lean or agile should be. In Menlo's case, it's software development. So it's a innovation center. And in uh, in Zingerman's, it's more of more like the Toyota production system, except there's a huge amount of variety. Demand is changing by the minute. So it's right. a, a different environment. Exactly. Yeah. So we're looking forward to that. 
Well, uh, Jeff, it's been great to have you on today. Uh, we're, we're, we're pushing an hour here, so I think we could talk all day probably uh, and, and just continue on. But I just appreciate you coming on as a guest today and, and talking through some of the different principles that we talked about today and introducing your, your second edition of the Toyota Way. So thank you for, for being on today. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.